Aloha and welcome to another episode of Ohana. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is our second episode of the year. Uh, again, it airs every second Sunday of the month. So I really appreciate everyone that's been tuning in. I hope that you find uh, this podcast uplifting, uh, informing, and encouraging for you and to help you uh, grow in your love for Jesus and your love for his family. Now, in this episode, I want us to answer a very important question about Christ's Ohana. And that question is, who is Christ's Ohana? Or worded differently, which church belongs to Jesus? Right? Because in the first episode, we recognized that the real church was built by Jesus. And Jesus is the head of that church. And this would be a good question for us to follow up with. Which one belongs to Christ? And it is so important that we go back to the source, right? Which is the Bible, the authoritative word of God, in order for us to identify who exactly is the real family of God. Uh, we live in a world where there is much religious confusion, uh, many different types of churches, doctrines and creeds and what have you. And so how would a person know who God's family is? I mean, are they all God's family? Or are we to say that all these different churches with different doctrines sometimes and most of the time uh, uh, contradicting doctrines, are we to say that all of them are God's family. That's that's pretty serious, right? And if you live in Hawaii uh, on the island of Oahu, there is a place called uh, Wahiwa, and there is a street in Wahiwa called uh, California Avenue. If you go down California Avenue, you will run into many different types of churches I, I i try to count them using google maps i don't know if they have more now or less now but i just was in wahiwa preaching uh, uh at the church in wahiwa with the brethren there and by my count there are 18 churches on california avenue that's a lot right and, and i'll tell you what each one will make the claim that they are God's family. Some even say uh, every church is God's family, right? All the different ones, uh, 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 they say they're all, they're all God's family, does it matter? Well, friend, that is the furthest thing from the truth. The truth is not every church is God's family because there are so many that exist today that were founded by men and not by Jesus. There's so many churches that, that exist today that don't have the word of God as their foundation. They have another book in addition to the word of God or some sort of creed in addition to the word of God or a manual in addition to the word of God. And so we can't be fooled, but what Satan is doing in the world, 
that people view as Christianity. Not every church belongs to Jesus. And, and so we have to go back to the Bible and look at the identifying marks of the real church, of the church that we read about in the New Testament. And the first thing I want us to acknowledge is the fact that Jesus actually defined who his family is. And I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 12. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 12. And I want us to notice verse 46 through verse 50. I want us to pay attention to what Jesus says here because it is so important in regards to our, our title this, this morning. Notice with me. The text says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. I want to pause here. In other words, Jesus' family were wanting to reach Jesus. You got to understand the fame of Jesus went through all the land and what he was doing, healing the sick and, and performing these mighty deeds by the power of God. And people were flocking to Jesus to hear what he has to teach and, and to look at and to try and see what miracles he was performing. And so here's an incident where his family could not get to him because of the multitudes. And so the reading continues, then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Jesus didn't suffer uh, amnesia. He, he didn't forget who his mother was or, and who his brothers were. He, he knew who they were. But this question is really about who is really his family? And notice what happens. And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples, right? Towards those who follow Jesus and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my, my brother and sister and mother. Wow. This is so important when you talk about identifying who is the church that belongs to Jesus. Among the thousands that exist today, which one is the true family of God? Which one is God's ohana? And Jesus makes, uh, and I, he gives us an identifying mark here of the church. He says, Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. In other words, he's really saying those who do God's will are my family. They are my ohana, my church. And so the identifying, one of the major, if you want to summarize an identifying mark, uh, if there's an identifying mark that summarizes the Lord's church and identify the Lord's church, it would be this statement by Jesus. The Lord's church will be those who are obedient 
to the will of the Father. Not just one verse here and one verse there. We're talking about the entire will of God for the Christian as recorded in the New Testament. That is the whole counsel of God. Not just one passage here, but we avoid another passage there. The entire counsel of God. The church that belongs to Christ will obey those teachings. All right. And so that's that's the real truth about about what we are seeing today. Not all churches are God's family. Right? As a matter of fact, there is only one family of God. Right? We established that in, in the first episode with the one body that is the church and the one head of the body that is Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 21 through 23 and Colossians 3 or Colossians 1 and verse 18. Right? And I want us to understand that when judgment day comes, it, it's going to surprise a lot of people who thought they were in the family of God. Who, who, who thought they were doing the will of the Father. And Jesus gave us an, an insight of that in the Sermon on the Mountain. If you go with me to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. Notice this. These are church-going folk. And they're saying, Lord, we thought we were doing your will. We did all of these things in your name. And notice what Jesus will say to them. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Right? Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not, uh, to apply to our topic, not every church who claims to be God's family or who claims to be the church that belongs to Jesus will be saved. Because not every church is doing the will of Father. But there is one. And we can know about it by looking at the Bible. So, here then is the the other question I want us to consider, right? Um, you might be asking, Lima, how, how then can I identify which church or which ohana belongs to the Lord? Well, I want to give you three major points. While there are a lot of other things in the New Testament that you can consider uh, as identifying marks, but I want to give you three major things uh, that are biblical that will help you use your Bible to identify if you are a part of the church in the New Testament or not. To, to help you identify who is God's real family according to God's word. So major point number one is this. You can identify the Lord's church by looking at her teaching. Right? Some churches have manuals, creeds, catechisms, and, and other man-made doctrines. In the Lord's church, the one we read about in the New Testament, the church of Christ, you will find that all teachings come from the holy word of God. And that's exactly what God would have us do. God would, want, God would not have us preach man-made teachings 
in his family. It has to be the word of God that is being taught and preached in the church. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is the authority for the church of Christ, the church that belongs to Jesus. We don't have church of Christ teaching, right? We, we don't have such things. We have scriptures. We have the truth that is given to us through Christ. We have the word of God. And so when, when you go to the Lord's church, you will notice that everything she does is done by following book, chapter, and verse. Is done by looking at the word of God and following what God said for us to do. And exactly what what Paul encouraged, you know, those in Colossae to do, to do everything by the authority of the truth or by the authority of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 and verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. So when you look at the churches that are around you and you're asking the question, hey, how do I know which is the right church? You have to see if they're using the Bible. You have to see if they're rightly dividing the Bible. You have to see to make sure that the things that are being taught and preached are actually coming from the word of God, right? It is the truth. And it reminds me of what Paul said to Timothy, right? That, that when he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, but if I delay, if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. In other words, in God's family, in God's ohana, which is the church, notice that singular, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of what? The pillar and ground of the truth. And so the truth is what must be taught in the Lord's church. That's how, that's one of the major identifying marks. You can know the Lord's church, identify the Lord's church by looking at her teaching. Number two, you can identify the Lord's church by looking at her leadership, right? Who is leading the church? Who is in charge of the church, right? And when you look in the Bible, you realize that at the very top, you have Jesus as the head of the church, right? Colossians 1, 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, singular, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And the parallel uh, passage to that is Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. You have Jesus at the head of the church. There are churches that exist today that have a man as the head of their church or some kind of president or vice president or a board of directors and, and whatnot. In the leadership of the church as laid out in the New Testament, Jesus is the head. 
And then under Jesus, Jesus being the chief shepherd, under Jesus, you have shepherds, elders, pastors, uh, bishops. These are all the same office, the same work. And these are men of good faith, men who have been qualified based on the qualifications given by the Holy Spirit uh, in the Bible, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, uh, 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 on who these men are and what they are to do as leaders in the church. So you have Jesus as the head, and then under the chief shepherd, you have shepherds, the men, multiple uh, uh, of shepherds, not just one, men who are faithful to the Lord, who love souls, and who will care for those souls. And we see that in the New Testament. We see that the apostles, uh, they did that. They went to different places, and they appointed elders, multiple elders, in every church. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commanded them, uh, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Right, so there is a plurality of elders, and you can find the qualifications again at First Timothy 3, uh, verse 1 through 7, and Titus chapter 1. I like to read the, the ones in First Timothy 3, verse 1 through 7. Right? And it says this This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, right, bishop, elder, uh, shepherds, uh, presbyters, all the same office. If a man desires the position of a bishop, excuse me, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, pause there, a woman cannot be an elder in the church, right? The husband of one wife, a man with multiple wives, obviously, cannot be an elder in the Lord's church, or a man in a a marriage that is not approved by God cannot be an elder in the Lord's church. Continuing on, a husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, able to teach the word of God, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he falls into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Notice that these are good qualities for a man to become part of the eldership, to be an elder in the Lord's church, right? So you have um, Jesus as the head, you have the elders or, or shepherds or bishops, all the same office, and notice what they do. They, they are to care for the flock. As a shepherd cares for his sheep, the elders provides the same care. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, uh, here is Paul's uh, farewell to the elders of the church in Ephesus as they met in the island called Miletus. And, and therefore, take 
heed to yourselves and to all the flock along among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, right? It was Jesus that died on the cross, and Jesus is God. He purchased the church with his own blood. But notice the responsibility of the elders. They are to shepherd the church, right? In other words, they are responsible for the souls of the members. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, instruction to the members. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Hebrews 13 and verse 17, another instruction for followers, uh, uh, um, for, for members in their relationship with the elders. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. And then you have instructions to the elders from, from one of the elders in the first century, the Apostle Peter. First Peter 1 and, and verse, uh, first Peter 5, verse 1 through 5. Notice, to be an elder, you need to be married and have children, right? And so Peter was married and he had children. And here's what he wrote. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I whom, who am in a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over the uh, not as being uh, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to the elders. Yes, all you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but give grace to the humble. Notice the responsibilities of the elders as they lead the congregation. And it's important to highlight this point as well. Peter said to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. In other words, uh, each congregation ha should have her own elders if the qualifications are met. And those elders are the shepherds over that congregation, right? An eldership for one congregation cannot shepherd a different congregation, right? And, and so that's an important point as well. And so you see this autonomous of, of the church, that, that each church has Christ as the head, but then you have these shepherds who oversee uh, the flock in, in these different congregations. Here's the last part of the leadership ladder, if you will. So you have Jesus as the head, you have the elders under the chief shepherd who is Christ, and then under the oversight of the elders, you have deacons. These are, are faithful men who are in specific ministries that are needed within the church. And, and, and you find the qualifications for these men in 1 Timothy 3, verse 8 through 13. I'd like to read that for us. 1 Timothy 3, 8, 8 through 13. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, 
holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, and let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife. Pause there. A woman cannot be a deacon in the Lord's church. So if you walk up in the church and you realize there are women elders and women deacons, then you know they're not following what the Bible teaches. Right? And so continue the reading. Let the deacons be the husband, the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Right? And so it's so important for us to remember that God's ohana is not led by a president or a vice president or a board of directors or a headquarters station in one place for all the churches around the world. No, it's, that's not how it's designed. It is not is not uh, led by one man uh, like the Pope over the Catholic Church. That's not biblical at all. Uh, that's not how God designed it. In the Lord's Church, you have Jesus as the head. Then you have the shepherds over the flock. And under the oversight of the shepherds, you have the deacons serving in those special ministries that are needed within the flock. So you can identify the Lord's church or God's ohana by looking at her teaching. You can identify the Lord's church by looking at her leadership. And last but not least, here's the third major point. You can identify the Lord's church by looking at her worship. That's something that, that, that the church does, right? We worship our Father in heaven. In the New Testament, we see that worship was held on the first day of the week by Christians. And that's why we today as the Lord's Church, we meet on the first day of the week, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. The New Testament teaches that there is a pattern of worship that God has laid down for Christians to follow. Just like God in the Old Testament, if you, you're a Bible student, you know in the Old Testament, God commanded his people to worship him in a certain way. He gave them a pattern for them to follow. Why would God all of a sudden, all of a sudden not have a pattern in the New Testament? That, that wouldn't make sense, right? Uh, but just like the Old Testament, he gave a pattern to his people. In the New Testament, there is a pattern for New Testament worship. And we read this as in the encounter between Jesus and, and, and the Samaritan woman and the woman at the well. Right, the the Bible taught. If you go with me to to uh, John chapter four, and I want to highlight verse twenty three and verse twenty four. Jesus taught this woman about the change that is coming in the way man will worship God. Right in the Old Testament, worship was in Jerusalem, on Mount Zion, on on the mountain where the temple was established under the old covenant that's where they worship and this woman of samaria she thought worship was she was taught by her ancestors that worship was at this uh, mountain uh, 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 but not the mountain in jerusalem and so jesus was explaining to her 
that she doesn't know what she's worshiping and, and she doesn't understand worship. And he tells her this, he tells her this truth, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such to worship him. You notice that, right? Jesus said the worship will not be on this mountain or in Jerusalem. It's going to change because it's going to change because the worship will be done in the church, in the new temple of God, the gathering of the saints, the Christians. Right? And Jesus said that in this worship, notice verse 24, the worship will be done this way. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That is in spirit, meaning to have the right attitude towards God in worship. Right to to come before God with reverence, to come before God with thanksgiving, to come before God with humility, to come before God with love and adoration for the one who saved us. That's a great spirit to have, but not just the spirit, not not just to have the right spirit. We must also have the right teaching spirit and truth. These two must go together and the truth. For New Testament worship is found in the New Testament. It's found in the scriptures. And the New Testament teaches that the worship of the church in the New Testament is, is consisted of five acts of worship. And the first act I want us to notice is the Lord's Supper, right? The Lord's Supper. And Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. We read about it in Matthew 26 and other parallels. First uh, Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul was teaching the church there that they needed to observe the Lord's Supper in the right way, right? And the Lord's Supper consists of the unleavened bread, which represents the body of Jesus, and the fruit of the vine, the fruit of the vine, which represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled. And those are the emblems for the Lord's Supper, right? Not just regular bread with yeast in it and water like some places do, or, or some places don't even observe the Lord's Supper. So one of the things that you have to look out for is, does this church observe the Lord's Supper in worship? And by the way, the Lord's Supper is observed every first day of the week. And notice with me in Acts 20 and verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. What is that talking about? That's a reference to the Lord's Supper. If you remember Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave to his disciples with them. And he said to them, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he, take, he took the cup, which, which was filled with the fruit of the vine. And, and, and he said to them, you drink this cup. Right? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and onward. Right? So the Lord's Supper is to be partaken every first day of the week. Not once a year, not once a month. Every first day of the week. The second uh, act of worship is preaching and teaching. Right? If you walk into a place and the Bible is not taught and preached in worship, then there's something wrong there. 
right? Paul commanded Timothy that whenever he was before the congregation, that he would preach the word. Whenever he ministered to, to other saints and, and, and the outsider, that he would preach the word. What word? The inspired word in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 and 17. Preach the word, Paul said to Timothy, be instant in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all suffering and teaching and doctrine. The third uh, act of worship is singing. And we see that in the Bible as well, that Jesus sung a hymn with his disciples after he instituted the Lord's Supper, and then they went out into the garden. You also see that the church is commanded throughout in, in the epistles to sing praises to God. Right? Notice, notice that. Notice how specific the command is. In Colossians 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, Let the word or let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing means, means singing, and God's very specific about that. Um, he doesn't say sing and play the piano or sing or play the drums or sing and clap your hands and sing whatever. He just says sing. Very specific command. Ephesians 5 and verse 19, another command there, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart, to the Lord, right? We're not making melody with our hands, with our with, with our mouths. The melody is in our hearts. The singing of the words, they come out of our mouth, but it's the spirit, the meditation in our heart that, that really pleases God because we mean the words that we are singing, right? Sometimes a person can sing the words, but his heart is distracted, right? They sing the words, but the melody of the heart is not there. And so when you go and when you find the Lord's church, you will realize they eat the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. There is preaching from the word of God in this in this worship service. There is singing. Everybody in the church is singing. Right. You don't have one group performing like on a stage and everybody just watching them. Everyone is singing praises to God. The fourth act of worship excuse me, that I want to share with you, is giving. We see again, it's done on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 through 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Apostle Paul there lays out the principle of when we are to give every first day of the week. We give to God as God has increased us, as God has prospered us. And we give to God whatever we've decided in our heart to give to God. First Corinthians chapter or Second Corinthians chapter eight and chapter nine tells us that. We we give to God with a cheerful disposition in heart. That's part of our worship. We're only giving to God what God has blessed us with. And we're saying, God, here's a portion of what you bless me with. May it be used for your glory, for your work. 
And then the last act of worship that we find in the New Testament pattern for worship is praying. Uh, prayer, such a powerful tool that has been given to us by God. It's a privilege that the church has. And we should be praying when we worship God. We should be united in prayer. First Timothy 2, verse 1 through 4, Paul says this, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be, be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we have these acts of worship, the pattern of New Testament worship. There's the Lord's Supper. There's preaching and teaching of God's word. There's singing of songs of praise to the Lord by the saints. There is cheerful giving, giving for the, the work of the church. And there's praying together, uh, offering thanksgiving through prayer, but also making requests and petitions through prayer to the one and only true living God. So I'll just share with you some major ways, so three major things that will help you use your Bible to identify the Lord's church. That will help you answer our question for this podcast episode. Which one is the church that belongs to Jesus? Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this lesson was encouraging to you. God's family is the best family, and I hope that you will seek the truth so that you will be able to identify which church truly belongs to Jesus. God bless you. Until next time, take care.